Welcome to another episode of This Week with Sabir. In today's hot seat is a dear friend of mine, uh, Zubin Mavlavi. I'll tell you more about him. First of all, I want to thank him for having me on his show, Coffee and Commerce, twice already, where we took a rapid-fire question, questions from the audience, and between me and him, we, we jammed so well. And that, I want to publicly say thank you uh, for having me uh, on, on your show. And and this is our return, but ours our ours is not going to be based on questions. We're going to be uh, t talking about your journey, and it was a, it has been a phenomenal journey uh, with Lucid Fusion and what you have done. So before we get started, there let me let me tell you about about Zubin. Uh, he's the president of Vayner Commerce, uh, and he has built a, a career helping brands build and grow their direct to consumer interactions. His professional journey started in 2000 when he co-founded Lucid Fusion a digital agency that would later become one of the leading global e-commerce solutions provider. Now in 2020, I don't think anything happened that year, no. but uh, in 2020, the most important thing in Zubin's life was he met Gary Vaynerchuk and he partnered up to form uh, Vayner Commerce following the acquisition of Lucid Fusion. Uh, he's a graduate of UC Irvine's School of Computer Engineering. Zubin has combined his passion for technology and music. I see a lot of music behind you there, Zubin, and human interaction in his professional endeavors. Zubin resides in uh, Southern California with his wife and a beautiful son. Zubin, welcome to the show. Sabir, thanks for having me. Uh, I just want to clarify one thing. While meeting Gary uh, was a pivotal moment in my life, it probably wasn't the best thing that ever happened to me <laughs> by meeting my wife and having my son was, but... Uh, but I love Gary dearly, and uh, it has absolutely been an amazing journey. So before we get started about the professional Zubin, I'll, mm -hmm. I would like to know who is Zubin? Let, let's start there before we start the journey. That, that's a great question. I can give you, uh, we can take the entire hour show and you can analyze me and uh, help me figure that out, to be quite honest with you. But um, listen to me, my friend. There are more qualified people than I am that get paid on the hourly to listen to those things. We will talk about the personal to people so that people get to know you more. Awesome. Um, I think the the personal me, um, ever since I was a child, uh, I was ambitious. I have um, moved to America when I was six years old from Iran, uh, went to live in Champaign, Illinois uh, with my parents and my sister. Uh, my mom was pursuing her uh, PhD there. So we moved there, lived there for... Uh, a number of years uh, through senior year of high school, then moved to Southern California. Still have dear friends and uh, uh, that I met growing up in Champaign that I still keep in touch with. Um, big fan of the University of Illinois. Um, in terms of who I am, I think I've always been incredibly ambitious. I've always wanted to um, do what the nonlinear path, if you will, right? Like while also kind of holding on to that linear path, meaning even my journey getting started, I went to get my degree in computer engineering at UC Irvine. Um, and I was working at my uncle's um, uh, print shop in Laguna Beach, Laguna Digital. And even while I was going to school, which I value dearly, I was also wanting to start a business and start a business and trying to do that. So trying to take the kind of unconventional route while not fully letting go of the conventional. I think that's perhaps one way to kind of sum up who I am. I mean, I, I'm very familiar with kind of that culture also myself. Like you're kind of boxed into being one of the three people. What are those three? 
exactly. a doctor, an engineer, or a lawyer. <laughs> Those <Precisely>. three. Precisely. <laughs> so I chose the engineering route. Um, never really did it, but still felt like it was. But it was to your point. You get boxed in familiarly uh, in terms of culturally, but at the same time, I think there's because you grow up in an environment that values education, you also end up valuing it yourself. And so for me, it was a matter of, okay, I want to get my degree because I need to get my degree because it gives me some self-worth, but I can't really tell you that I've used a lot of that or much of that education in what I did afterwards or what I'm doing now. Yeah. I mean, I, I can understand, like I went through a similar similar to your career path too. I was a computer science grad from Queens, from Queens College. And, um, but my first 10 years was very much hardcore engineering, but then I pivoted completely to running businesses and marketing. And, and that's what I've been doing for the past 25 years now, you know, for a long time. I'm showing my age now by, don't add up those numbers. <laughs> Started early. Um, but look, that engineering background in my, first of all, I think people gravitate towards engineering that have a certain kind of way of thinking, way of processing Problem solving. Exactly. And so that yeah. framework, the, the way you logically, the systems thinking and whatnot that you deployed in your earlier years is what you're probably deploying now, um, helping companies as well. Yep, definitely. I mean, that's from my perspective, it's all math and it's all problem solving. 100%. And, and anything that, that, that tests my brain into into doing that that's what i love doing i mean it, it doesn't matter what the activity is you know that's that's what i how i see it now now if we fast forward to uh you're out of uh uc Irvine, right uh what what do you what do you start doing right after that so i'm actually in it at the time so this is freshman year going to uc irvine um which at the time was pretty much a commuter school i don't know if it still is um, and I uh, keep in close touch with the campus. I'm involved with the campus. But back then, basically, people would like commute in and out. And so that's what I did. I'd go to work several times a week uh, at my uncle's uh, store. And then I would uh, go to school. And then what ended up happening is this is um, in 1999-2000. Um, I was really interested in photo, uh, Adobe Photoshop, uh, Dreamweaver, Flash had just come out. And so I'd actually downloaded the um, trial version of Flash from Adobe. Oh, it was actually Macromedia back then. And then, um, incidentally, people kept coming into his store asking for websites, asking for Flash animations, asking for those sorts of things. I remember the first client that came in, it was called Asbury Environmental Services. So I think they do like recycling for cities, municipalities. And they had some board meeting. And she's like, I want something like flashy. And I'm like, oh, I can do this. So downloaded the trial version of Macromedia Flash. And then ended up building something, like learning how to use the, the tools and building something. And then I went to my uncle and I said, look, we should start a company building websites. And he was very supportive of me, as he still is. And he said, look, if this is what you want to do, let's do it. And so at that point, I'm like, okay. And for me, just to be very clear, at the time, and I think there are a lot of people who, regardless of age, you end up doing things based on perception and, and a heightened perception of what you will look like. You will appear like by doing it versus doing it for the sake of doing it. Now, I was very passionate about it. I loved Flash. I attended the uh, the Macromedia conferences. Like I was deep into it. But at the same time, for me, it was like, oh, this is cool because I'm going to be in school and I'm going to be unique because I'm going to be starting a business. No one else 
in school is starting a business. So I'm like, oh, that I've got kind of a leg up, if you will. So started that first few years were at the time a disaster because I didn't know how to run a business. I didn't know. I didn't even know what P&Ls were. Um, we had a couple of people that were um, helping out. There was a gentleman who was helping me with business development. Um, and uh, basically, we were trying to figure it out. But at the same time, when you're that young, and it's not really about age, you're that inexperienced, let's put it that way, you don't know how to run a business. You don't really know how to do the work professionally, but you're ambitious and you're excited. And so people kind of gravitate towards that energy, around that energy, and tried to help me with it. But it really wasn't going anywhere. So it was at a point where it's like, now I'm in my senior year, I'm about to graduate. And um, I had a family friend that I confided in, uh, Zainab Azadnia, who ended up, I convinced her to come on board and help me build this as a full service digital agency. Her background was in PR and marketing. Um, and she was certainly more experienced work-wise and um, had a different maturity and, and skill set than I did. And so she came on board to help me properly build Lucid Fusion into a full service agency. So you're, you're still, so Lucid Fusion was built out during your freshman year. That's when you right. started doing it. Yeah. And then three years after that, while you were in college, you start building it. Um, exactly. So now, now you graduate. Uh, how do you balance that, by the way? I, I always talk about work-life balance. How do you balance college study, computer engineering, which is a lot of math and physics and computer science, right? And, and, and you have this whole other thing that you're building that you have no clue how to run a business, you know, just like you said. So I'll tell you, you would have to ask somebody else how to manage that because, and in full disclosure, for your audience only, um, and I've never publicly discussed this, not that it matters, but my GPA at UC Irvine was 2.65. I barely graduated from the School of Computer Engineering. Now, the School of Computer Engineering knew that right now. <laughs> With my involvement, they probably wouldn't Zubin, ask me involved. But Zubin, Gary V got an A in gym. The rest of it was all C's and D's. I mean, look, <laughs> so but, okay. but, but to be clear, in high school, straight A student, right? Like that was my focus. And, and we'll get to focus in a bit. But in terms of work-life balance or school-work balance, I'm absolutely the wrong person to ask about that because what ended up happening, and I can see this now in retrospect based on where I am in my life, but there was no balance. And the reality is that if I had focused on either of those two, I'm sure it would have been a different experience and I would have been able to go deeper than what I did. And so kind of both of them were kind of didn't get the, the, the amount of attention that they deserved, if you will. Hmm, got it. Now, now uh, one way or another, with a GPA of 2.67, right? You, you're done with school. Uh, you get your degree. Now now you're 100% focused on Lucid Fusion. Did anything else come up during that period besides Lucid Fusion? Um, during that time, did anything else come up? I mean, there were, for me, and, and up until I'd say probably the last few years, and we'll get into it and why, but up in the last few years, like, I was very easily distracted. And so there were always things that came up. Um, I had a few friends in from 2000. So just to time frame everything, graduate or start university 99, 2000, and then graduate in 2004. And in that period of time, I've got Lucid Fusion. And at the same time with a few friends, we started recording music. Um, 
and that started actually doing well. We were doing uh, electronic dance music, specifically trance music. Um, and that was going well uh, in a sense that we were, the music we were recording was getting a lot of plays by different DJs. We were asked to perform here and there. And so it was like this moment where I had like three things going on in my life. I had my music, I had my work in Lucid Fusion, and I had school. And then it basically all came together where it's like, okay, now you got to, you're, you're graduating. What are you going to do? And um, again, in, in consultation with Zainab, we're like, let's just build this into a full, like, let's give it this lucid fusion thing, the, um, the attention that it deserves, the focus that it deserves to see if we can actually turn this into something. Um, and and it, it was quite ironic because the first major account that we got was a traditional advertising account. So if you can imagine for the first four years, all I've done is digital. And then talk about chasing bad revenue. I We ended up getting an account that was larger than anything else we've gotten. Like everything we were doing at the time was probably like $10,000 site builds, $15,000 site builds, no really um, uh, recurring revenue model, nothing that was consistent. So one month you'd be super busy and then you start staffing people. And then the first major account you get that's like a seven-figure deal ends up being traditional advertising where you're literally designing print ads, which we were super excited about at the time. Come to think of it two years later, it was absolutely the wrong move to make because we wanted a, di a direction that was basically stale and going down. And we were well early with the digital side of things, but it is what it is. I mean, so what's the advice there? Like, I mean, every, I, I think every entrepreneur kind of, at that stage, I would call it entrepreneurial phase, right? Um, that faces that issue, right? They're fo laser focused on their product. It's like uh, edgy. It's really interesting and stuff. And then money shows up from a place that's not on your roadmap. Like, like you said, you are a digital agency and you were given uh, a print ad to work on uh, uh, as a campaign and money was good. You know what it is? I think that for a long time, my goal at Lucid Fusion was to grow Lucid Fusion, but the financial goal really was let's make sure we have enough revenue to be able to maintain and grow the staff that we have and give ourselves a six month to a year runway so that when we hit six months runway in terms of booked revenue with the staff we have and our projected new hires, we were good. Now, come to think of it, after and going through the transition of selling the agency and then moving into Vayner Commerce, you come to realize, which is probably obvious to a lot of people, and I hope it is, is that you have to actually have business outcomes in mind and goals that you want to reach and goals that you want to achieve. So that when you look at opportunities that come to you, you understand this is my North Star. This is where I'm headed. Is this going to derail me and head me in a different direction? Or is it going to help accelerate or at least keep me on my path? Same goes for agencies, same goes with direct-to-consumer brands that we work with, basically any business, right? And I think that's the, the big challenge as an entrepreneur, especially when you're starting out, especially to your point when you have this kind of vision of what you want to do, you're super excited about it, and you set out to do it, and then you realize that maybe it's not going as fast as you want it to go, or you're not getting enough traction, and yet you get traction in a completely different direction that kind of throws you completely for a loop. And that you end up doing it because of that revenue, but it's not getting you to where you want to head to. In my case, primarily because I didn't know where I was going. I was just 
on this road and I wanted to stay on that road. I mean, there are challenges when you're running a digital agency or a dev shop, right? The the technology changes all the time. I'm especially, you're talking about starting the journey in 2000. Over the past 21 years, it's 2021 right now. Uh, so in, in the past 21 years, technology has, uh, let's say in 2000, uh, Google was a baby. <laughs> totally. Now, now it's a trillion dollar company, right? Uh, and technology, uh, you said that you started with Macromedia Flash that turned into Adobe Flash. That also came and died and, and oh. went away, but it got transformed into other things. Exactly. When, when you were going through over the past 21 years and this huge shifts in technology and even development and how you develop technology uh, changed, uh, how did you stay on top of it to make sure it wasn't just about Zubin, right? It was Lucid Fusion as a company yeah. and, and as an agency, whether it was five people or 50 people, they needed to transform also. What were those some of those pivotal points uh, in your history? I, so I think that to begin with, because the kind of the, the digital side of the agency was built around my passion for that kind of work, I was very into staying in the know, seeing the latest things, reading the latest trends. Like it, it's something that I was incredibly passionate about. And so I think by virtue of that, it ended up rubbing off on other people. With that being said, that's fine when you're like one to five people, maybe even less than 10 people. Then you start growing and that needs to be kind of a decentralized function and it needs to be something that everybody is passionate about. Um, we went through different uh, manifestations of this, giving people time on a monthly basis to, to read and to learn and whatnot. I think ultimately what it really boils down to is... And, and then we can talk about kind of the milestones that we went through. But I think what it, what it comes down to is making sure that employees are given the opportunity, A, that they're really passionate about uh, the, the line of work that they're in, and B, that they're given the opportunity to actually spend time to learn and, and, and learn in a manner that they understand that it's actually enhancing themselves and they're growing. Once you get, achieve that, then I think that it, it, it makes it a lot easier for everybody to be contributing, as opposed to making sure that it is the CTO's role to make sure that all new technology flows through her or him, you know? And then in terms of like the, the milestones that we went through, to your point, start with Flash. Flash is growing, Flash is huge, everybody's on Flash, um, and yet we've got issues with Internet Explorer. And so the Internet Explorer 6, we've got issues with that, we've got issues with 7, 8, pretty much every iteration of Internet Explorer ended up being the biggest pain in the ass in terms of like development. Um, from there, we went into PHP. And uh, once we we wanted to have like database driven uh, websites, so like dynamic content, dynamic things coming in. From PHP, uh, for some enterprise clients, the first e-commerce thing we actually did, I think it was in 2008, was on ASP.NET storefront. And then um, ASP.NET Storefront was basically we didn't know how to do it. So we had to find uh, a firm that could do like an e-commerce build for us. Um, and so the firm knew ASP.NET Storefront. Then I think I remember, by the way, Zubin, I remember the Duwamish uh, sample project. I don't know if you remember that project. 100%. <laughs> and, and I still I think I've recently gotten over the uh, the, the nightmares from ASP.NET Storefront. Um but then from there, I think the big shift, right? Like we're talking about step function growth for us was Magento. 
And so we had a client um, that uh, we started working with, Power Balance, in 2009-10. They were a local Southern California product company, and they were on... um, uh, they were on like a, one of these uh, just cart systems, if you will, and wanted to move to like a proper e-commerce platform. We had a lot of experience with PHP. And so we um, implemented Magento for them. And then from there, went to Magento Enterprise and then built out 17 storefronts in different countries and then started learning about localization, not just from a language standpoint, currency, contacts, products, et cetera. That was a big shift for us. And so we built... And, and as a dev agency, if you can imagine, because that ended up being our focus, Magento Enterprise was great because it required a lot of dev resources. So we would build these massive implementations for our clients, and then they would have to pay us monthly to just manage and, and keep the lights on, if you will. And then from there, the story moves into kind of 2015, um, 14, 15, meeting the folks at Shopify. And that was yet another pivotal moment and kind of the the journey of lucid fusion yeah i mean actually it's um it's sticking with magento and knowing the pain that uh, a lot of people went through with magento magento was a was a sweetheart from an open source perspective right then it got acquired i don't know a gazillion times by different companies (laughs) uh by uh, behind the scenes what's going through your mind when when every one of those things were happening because you you didn't have you didn't have certainty around the roadmap on the product, because you well, were relying on it in order to provide service and put your clients on it. Hundred percent. So what ended up happening is we first started with Magento Community to your point, and so that's an open source solution. Our engineers learned it, and then you really have no support. So you're basically reliant on people, literally people in the world that have come across these issues, and with Magento. If anybody out there has ever used Magento, especially back in the day, it was a massive CPU and memory hog. And so as these sites scaled, we would have to literally scale up servers, load balancers to manage those servers um, to be able to handle that. So the biggest issue that we always had with Magento was speed and um, load balancing and then uh, making sure that when traffic hit, that these sites could stay up. I remember... One of the um, one of the big projects we did on Magento, and we had to scale up quite a bit, uh, was actually for Oru Kayak, um, and Oru Kayak was a client of ours that was going to be on Shark Tank, and so we built the Magento site, and then I remember being in the office days before load testing this whole thing and saying, okay, if you get a hundred thousand visitors, if you get a million visitors, can you do this? And so we scaled them up to like ten web servers. four database servers and then i want to say like the night before the show and these are like the the issues that we had the night before the show we were testing somebody would open up uh the site go add something to cart they would refresh the cart was gone it was in someone (laughs) else's cart now and so like there were multiple session issues like this is the night before shark tank so it was pretty bad um but anyway we got through it but those are the types of things that i think if you think about the 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 maturity of the industry and the way the industry is heading those were a lot of devops functions and those devops functions weren't what we as an agency or many agencies were set up for and yet we had to support it because these sites need to be maintained and then to your point with magento getting acquired a number of times the support was a challenge because once we got to enterprise with these clients they were paying for support and yet the folks in support didn't even know how to 
resolve these types of issues. I mean, these are very, very specific um, expert level issues. But anyway, you're giving me heartburn now because I'm remembering <laughs> all this, these Magento days. Um, yeah. Good old you days. Know, the, the thing is, um, when our industry started, I think everybody just thought that, you know, if the person knew computers, that was good enough. They'll figure it out, right? But I think the, the specialties over, over the years have actually increased. Now you have web ops. Web ops is different. Uh, you know, web operations is different from net ops, which has to do with Cisco and networking and stuff like that. You, you just mentioned a load balancer. I know what that is because I, I went through that pain myself. And, and knowing and, and session failover, things like that, very technical. Now we're getting very tech nerds right now. Um, but, but the thing is, I, I think our industry has improved over time. Now it's more feel, feels to me more like Legos, right? And I, you, there are pieces of it that you you just have to know which pieces make sense to uh, invest into, and you're yep. building it. In the beginning of this industry, you had to build a, a bridge. If you if Chase was your bank, you had to provide the you know write, write all the programming to yeah. do payment processing with them, and that took like six months. You know, to, not to, to mention DCI compliance <clears throat> and all of that, but. I'll tell you one thing for those who are tuning in who are into NFTs and Web3. Web3 NFTs feel a lot like e-commerce back in the 2000s, whereby everybody is basically trying to get into it and trying from a, a service provider standpoint. And yet there are very, very few experts out there. And the reality is everybody's kind of learning at the same time. So th there are a lot of issues that are going to occur over the next few years, just because the expertise isn't there, but it's a great time to get in and start to understand some of these things. Um, and it's going to be, and it's going to adapt and it's going to evolve much faster than e-com did precisely for what uh, Sabir was mentioning right now with all these Lego pieces and the components that are available now that weren't available back then. And, and sometimes you're not solving the same problems either, right? Uh, how would you have known that we need to, as a society, need to address screen time on our iPhones because yeah our kids are spending too much time yep. on that and, and they're lagging, lagging in, in like social skills and other types of things like that. I mean, as human beings, we're learning those things because there are newer problems we're trying to solve also. 100%. And yet at the same time, the core, um, we hear this question all the time and we talk about it, which is like, oh, has, uh, with the pandemic, have cons has consumer behavior changed? consumer sentiment changed. And the reality is at the core, it hasn't. It's just they're reacting a certain way to what is happening externally. And yet at the core, humans are humans. Humans want interaction. Humans want human interaction. They want certain things. They need certain things. They don't need certain things. And I think same with business. It's like so many businesses nowadays, especially on the direct consumer side, they, over the last few years, they lost sight of what it takes to actually build a proper company or they built a proper company in a completely different industry, come in this industry, and then now they're not even thinking about building a business the same way. They're not thinking about business fundamentals. But I think we just got to take a step back and look at human behavior fundamentals, things that matter to humans, and then ultimately from a business standpoint, things that matter to businesses. And what makes a business successful um, at the end of the day is sustainable growth and profit. And yet over the last few years, everybody's kind of forgotten about that because... There are other ways to make money. There are other exits. There are other things. But we should go back no. to fundamentals. <laughs> you know, when, when you get to, um, I, I think, catastrophes like uh, and catastrophes like 2008 meltdown, 2000, 
2000 Nasdaq meltdown, then 2001 9/11. Uh, you know, now you're talking about 2020 with with uh, with pandemic hitting us, global pandemic uh, hitting us. Even though we we were hit as human beings, we were hit back in 1920 uh, mm -hmm. with another pandemic. But the thing is, the environment has changed. You know, the way we address those kind of things, the human beings have not changed, but sure. but the environment and how we address things. For example, in 1920. You couldn't have a virtual conference like this, you know, because computers didn't exist at that time. Totally. Uh, you know, but I think that also with that sort of adversity comes opportunity. Also, a lot of if you think about like the business histories of companies that have uh, grown out of uh, necessity, yep. and and my company being one of them, actually, you know, and this show, uh, you know, you come up with interesting ways of doing things. Like I don't have to convince people to listen to a podcast. What is it? I think the podcast stats are like 81% of Americans have listened to one podcast at least, right? That's a big gigantic number. So it's it's something that, I, and, and also every grandma knows how to, you know, order for herself food and Uber and stuff like that now. That adoption rate has increased tremendously. Things as a professional I was thinking would happen in 2035 has come down to 2020 now, like 15 years ahead. That totally. that that it's it's those kinds of things. Now, uh, I I just want to bridge the gap here because as you're getting into the years now, I'm playing a role with Gary on the other side of the equation, totally. right? And and let me bridge it. So I uh, I was not involved. I knew Gary a while back. Um, then I get I get this random call. Uh, I'm I'm actually helping my client on Long Island uh, with with their e-commerce strategy and analytics and stuff like that. It was Canon. Uh, the camera company. I get this call, and um, and it was it was Alex Klein actually. Uh, I don't I don't know if you did you yeah. meet Alex Klein, right? So it was him. Uh, I didn't know who he was. Uh, so he goes like, "Well, there is." I, I looked up your LinkedIn. You look very interesting. Uh, there's an agency that's interested in e-commerce services, and given your experience, I think this is a good connection here. I'm like, "Well, I know agencies." Uh, and no agency in their right mind would want to do e-commerce. You know, that's just my experience because I've been in it for the from the very beginning. Because it's very, it's, it's very hands-on work that you have to do, right? He goes like, no, that's it's a, it, the founder is very interesting, and you may know him. And uh, it's a very small agency at, at that time. It was VaynerMedia was about uh, 200 people, roughly 150, 200 people. So he, he says, well, uh, it's VaynerMedia. I said, you can stop. Uh, Gary knows me. Just tell him my name. Say that I would I would love to meet with him. You know, so I go and meet with him, and he says that he's very interested in creating uh, an e-commerce agency, uh, and he wants to give it a try. and And if I'm interested, he would like me to, you know, start it up, build a team, and stuff like that. So I ended my relationship with the client and uh, moved over. I partnered up with him to start building, and in that it was. E-commerce services under VaynerMedia, right? Then uh, it it got moved to we call started calling ourselves V-commerce, as in you know instead of Vayner Commerce, but it was V-commerce. And then um, in year three, we started starting to not officially branded. We started calling ourselves Vayner Commerce at that time in the very beginning of it. But when I joined uh, Gary, I said to him like, "Look, I'm going to do my brain dump, create services around everything that I know." Right about this field, and I know quite a lot. I've been doing it for a long time since the beginning of ecom. So I'm going to build it, 
but then there will come a time that I won't be able to continue working it because I'm not an agency guy. I do some strategic consulting, but that's it. That's my extent of client management. You know, I, that's not me. I like running companies, not agencies. So I think there will be a, there will come a time that we have to decide that I have to exit and we need to uh, put put the right team in place to continue building out what we have started. You know, and and then continue your story. So right around that time is when, um, so let's go a few years back. So as this is happening, as Sabir is joining VaynerMedia uh, to run e-commerce um, at Lucid Fusion, we've now met the folks at Shopify and they tell us that they're going to launch the Shopify Plus platform, which is for enterprise businesses, and that we would be a good fit from an agency standpoint because we're so multifaceted, because we do design, we do UX, we do strategy, and then ultimately development. <clears throat> and so <clears throat> we were very hesitant to begin with. Same client that I mentioned to you, Oro Kayak, after the whole Magento Shark Tank expenses, they're like, look, we're going to Shopify. They're going to auto scale. We don't need Magento. We're like, no, you need it. And then they basically told us, like, look, we're going to go with or without you. Um, and we said, okay. Now that you've given us this ultimatum, let's actually figure out what the Shopify thing is about. So everything was kind of happening at the same time around 2015. Um, and so we uh, looked into Shopify and our CTO at the time was our CTO currently, Ben Freed, looked at it and we're like, look, this is actually much better than we anticipated because all we thought Shopify was, was a series of themes. Everybody had the same templated site looking thing. And it's because there were very easy templates to implement, templates to implement. And so people were just implementing the same look and feel. But once we got in, we realized like, wow, this is actually pretty powerful. There's a lot that we can build on top of this. Um, and so we went all in. At the time, we had business to business clients. We had business to consumer clients, meaning companies like software companies that were selling to other businesses as our clients. Then we had like a few clients that were selling products like Oro Kayak. But we said, look, we're going to go all in on e-commerce. We're going to go. We looked at Shopify. Um, and, and what Shopify gave us that we didn't have before was deal flow, meaning if we became a partner with them, they, when they sold these Shopify Plus deals, they needed agencies to implement them. And so we were one of several, just a handful of agencies at the time that they would recommend. And so they would say, look, you're in this space, talk to these three agencies, see which one fits the bill. And our problem in terms of business development and growth at Lucid Fusion was always just the outreach and building a pipeline and all that stuff. We were really good when we were in the room. But what we weren't good at was sourcing these deals. Well, now we had a partner in Shopify who was sourcing these deals for us. All we had to do was just close, which we were pretty good at. So we start closing these deals. We start doing well. One of the folks at Shopify who um, I believe they call them growth hackers. So they were young, inexperienced salespeople. So they would mostly graduated um, near Waterloo or in Canada somewhere. And then they would join Shopify um, and they would basically sell Shopify Plus. Some of the most brilliant people that I've ever met, um, they were all in their, most of them, I'd say they were in their early 20s, incredible hustle, incredible intelligence, um, many of which I, many of whom rather that I keep in touch with to this day. Um, one of them was Robbie Deeks. So Robbie Deeks uh, was basically sold the hundreds, the streetwear brand on Shopify Plus. Then he introduced us, several other partners to um, the hundreds. We met them, hit it off, got the deal. So we built it. 
And then around this time, so this is now in 2016, we're working on our one of the, our first big builds, um, implementing this massive uh, Shopify uh, implementation, which again, we love doing complex shit. Uh, I still think we do to an extent, but like Ben and I just love doing complex stuff. So in this case, they have thousands of blog posts that they wanted to migrate into one Shopify experience so that you go to the hundreds.com, consume their content and buy their products. So we built a really cool integration with WordPress, built it all, developed it, launched it. And then we were invited by the Shopify team um, in 2017, May of 2017 specifically, to go up to Waterloo um, and, and meet with the, the growth hackers and the rest of the team and explain the technology that we've built, how it could help them, how we sell to enterprise brands, so on and so forth. That trip was one of the best trips uh, I ever took professionally. We went up there, met with them, um, met with Robbie Deeks, met with a bunch of folks, Zach Wanavar, uh, Steve Vakis Warren, uh, all these folks at Shopify, Lauren Paddleford, um, Nabil Fahel, our partner manager, and, and really like got ingrained within that community uh, within Waterloo. From there, we went back. Robbie and I spent a lot of time together there. Um, Robbie Deeks, brilliant individual. If you ever have a chance to talk to him, um, look him up on LinkedIn, talk to him. Um, he basically, he and I took a trip back from Waterloo. So Waterloo, south of Toronto, up to Toronto. And we spent an hour talking and we missed our exit to the airport. And we kept talking and we were talking about e-commerce and basically my vision now having been in e-commerce for a couple of years around building this holistic agency that would manage um, uh, direct consumer brands beyond just technology. Um, and then he was sharing his experience working with these high growth brands that were going from zero to hundred million in revenue in 18 months. So we got a talking Robbie um, then ended up uh, end of May 2017 meeting with Gary uh, Vaynerchuk, he met with Gary and he talked to Gary about taking essentially the practice that Sabir had built and taking it beyond consulting and how there's a massive opportunity and hey, end to end, like let's run media, let's run growth and then let's build these sites so we can control the entire funnel end to end and not just pieces of it. Um, Gary was on board, Sabir was on board, Robbie joined uh, VaynerMedia to basically handle business development for Sabir's org. Then, and this all happened within a few months, he meets with Gary September. Gary gives him the green light to do this. Then in December, he introduced Gary to me. And so I met Gary. We hit it off pretty quickly. Um, I think Gary, one of the, he's got a multitude of talents that we can talk about ad nauseum. But I think one of the things that he is very good at in my mind, and perhaps one of the best in the world is being a good judge of character. And so I think within a few minutes, he understands who you are, what motivates you, um, and kind of puts you in his mind in a certain place. And in that place for me and for him, it was like, look, what you're doing is interesting. Let's work together for the next whatever period of time and see where how it goes. And so then I met Sabir. We started working as Lucid Fusion. We started working with um, Sabir's team and the Vayner Media team, they were putting up strategy. They were doing all the strategy work for these brands. And then we started doing the technical implementation on Shopify together, growing these brands. And then um, over the course of the next two years, basically fast forward to 2020, I'm sorry, end of 2019, um, 
Gary and the team and the board uh, approached me about acquiring Lucid Fusion and then basically fulfilling that conversation that we had and the conversations that we'd had with Gary and Sabir um, and Alan and Robbie around building this full service agency and really being able to kind of impact brands at a more visceral level, really drive business outcomes versus what we were doing, which was building technology for them, handing them the keys and letting them run it. What Sabir's team was doing was running strategy, but collectively or individually, we weren't able to really drive those business outcomes that any of us wanted to. And so we decided to come together to be able to do that. So one question I want to go back, you know, because you were on a, on, a, on a roll there. I didn't want to stop you, you know. Sure. Uh, when you, especially because the thing is, I'm sure that there are a lot of other digital agency owners that are going through it. And especially yeah. the te technology thing that we talked about, right? When, when you, I mean, I know that you're having some pain with, uh, in that journey, you were having some pain. Like you said that you, it was, I'm giving you indigestion thinking about even uh, Magento at that, at that Absolutely. stage. Uh, so I, I can understand the sigh of relief that Shopify is offering you at that time. But as an organization, I know the platforms really well, both of them, both Shopify and Magento, very different, right? Fundamentals are similar, but technology-wise, very different Absolutely. platforms, right? How do you take your organization uh, from, uh, you know, from Magento to transform to becoming a Shopify uh, shop? I mean, on the surface, yeah, there is partnership, there's collaboration, Shopify is going to help you. But as an organization, I don't know, at, at that stage, how many employees were there in, in Lucid Fusion when, when you were transitioning? I mean, when, the, when we were transitioning from shop from Magento to Shopify, or, or basically everything else we did into Shopify, we were probably like 15 to 20 people, somewhere in there. Look, it was, it's a very interesting point. And something that I think, hopefully, digital agency owners, other business owners can, can learn from, which is that we had built a certain skill set, right? So think about it. We had a marketing department that in, in, enveloped creative. And so these folks were coming up, a client would come to us, we want a new site. They're the ones that would do the strategy, the research, provide new designs and UX and all that. That didn't change much. That changed from the perspective that there are certain things that were fixed in Shopify. So you didn't need to design your own checkout. You didn't need to design certain components that were already pre-built into Shopify. So that team got to be better, got to get really good at those pages that are critical in the, in the funnel. The engineering team was in many ways advanced beyond what you needed to program for Shopify. But that ended up being our sweet spot. And that ended up really distinguishing us in a sense that what you needed in terms of engineering skill set to be able to build in uh, Shopify's markup was called Liquid, to be able to build Liquid pages. We had that and then some. And so when we were running into these types of problems or these challenges rather where now you need to integrate a thousand blog posts. Now you need to integrate WordPress. Now you need to integrate whatever. We basically repurposed the engineering team that we had that were doing other things into building those apps, building those connections, building the middleware and backend software that many Shopify agency partners didn't have. So what really distinguished us at the end of the day, I mean, everybody talks about our sites look better, this, that, the other. 
but really what distinguished us was our backend engineering team that none of these other Shopify partners had because they, many of these agencies came out of Shopify, meaning somebody had a two-person shop doing front-end design, and then all of a sudden Shopify launches plus. They were Shopify experts before, and they're like, look, we're going to take the next step and become a Shopify plus partner. And so they, their focus was all front-end primarily, front-end design, and then they added in development. Ours was always engineering, and then we basically bolstered that and ended up going that direction. Now, in terms of your question about what other people can learn from, certainly pivoting and, and, and these sorts of things, it happens. Um, it's necessary. It was necessary for us. It was a survival mechanism for us to continually pivot, to keep Lucid Fusion alive, if you will. Um, and, and there were times where we had to lay off certain groups of people because, as I mentioned at the onset in what 2005 or 2009, when we're doing a bunch of print ads, well, those print ad folks that are doing copywriting and marketing and design aren't the right people to do um, digital design, digital UX thinking, et cetera. And we only learned that the hard way by having them do it, having that design fail, and then realizing that those weren't the right people. We needed to transition to other people who had that expertise. So I think hmm. repurposing employees, moving them around is a really important thing um, for me personally to make sure that people, when they enter an environment that I'm in, grow and they're, that they're moving forward. With that being said, it's not necessary to always repurpose them internally. Many, in many cases, when we hired someone and they didn't work out or we hired someone and, and our business shifted, we were the ones that would actually help them find another job, another um, career path for them because I think it was, we felt like it was our responsibility we brought them in. So sum that up, I would say you ship, the business needs change, the business changes, it's really important to reassess your employees and your organizational structure on a regular basis and say, are, is this the best group to move this forward? If not, who can I bolt on? And then ultimately, are those individuals growing? And if not, can they grow internally in a different department? Or let's help them find something else uh, externally that'll help them move on and, and grow, if you will. I mean, one of the key things, key differences between um, uh, Magento and Shopify is, is the aspect of getting a hosting partner buying hardware, you know, keep on upgrading it, connecting networks, stuff like that. Those are real legitimate skill sets. But when you pivot, that means that what played as a net ops or web ops, you may not need it anymore because yeah. all that infrastructure is in the cloud and Shopify is giving all that to you now. Exactly. You don't have to worry about any of those kinds of things. You know, so that's that's where, you know, where, where every one of those people are very talented. Those, that skill set is highly sought after. But it's just not the right mix for you as, as an organization when you have pivoted. Precisely. And and as we were, look, we were, we had clients like uh, Sage, the software company, um, large B2B clients as well that we were supporting from like 2005 to 2015. And for those companies, in a B2B scenario, all we could influence, if we were running marketing campaigns, go to market strategies for them, et cetera, all we could measure, if you will, were marketing qualified leads. Um, but we really weren't able to, and nor were most of these companies, really able to determine what campaign activities, creative, et cetera, led to sales and revenue. 
So what was exciting about e-commerce was that we could actually move the needle for these clients or get a sense of the impact that we could have for them. And so to your point, what ended up happening, it, it was a significant mindset shift moving to Shopify, which was all these people that I have that are keeping the lights on are no longer necessary. So what do we do with them? How do we ensure that these people can be repurposed, their roles can be repurposed to add value for our clients and deliver outcomes for them? And I think the most important thing to your point about agencies, about this, that, the other, is that, is like, make sure that you're delivering value. And if you're not, what are, what is the purpose of that individual who's on that account or not even the individual, but it's the role because you're staffing the roles. But I, I, Zubin, I really liked what you said earlier about investing in people and, and giving them that opportunity to go out on, even independently to kind of learn this new thing that's coming up. You use the example of NFTs, for example, or crypto or blockchain or anything like that to, to a lot of people right now, even 2021, it's a lot of witchery, you know, so was e-commerce too. Nobody yep. would nobody would give you their credit card over over the internet was what I was told constantly, uh, and you know I can show I, I I can show them that that's not true anymore. You know, everybody knows uh, that now. Yeah, yeah exactly. So I, I think that having that sort of a culture, and especially in in a in a field that we are in, which is a moving target all the time, things that were highly relevant. I can tell you that in, in 2012, when, when you were approached about, uh, or 2015, when you were approached about Shopify, at that time, the winner of e-commerce carts was Volusion at that yep. time, if you remember that platform, Absolutely. right? I personally have used it, and, and I've written articles. There have been writ articles written about me talking about Volusion and stuff like that. But uh, Shopify did kudos to them over the years. They've, they handled the changing tides and in business and, and and opportunities and integration and partnerships and stuff like that that it has turned turned into this gigantic powerhouse now you know yeah you, you know i think that when we talk about people and employees and you think about for us um for my former partner zainab and myself it was all about making sure that we created an environment where people could grow. Now, the, the, the challenge that we had then versus my thinking about it now, back then it was like, look, we want to recruit the best talent we can get. Okay. We're in Southern California. Who can we get? And then there was always this fear of attrition. And so you do everything you can to keep that talent there. Once you kind of, not once you, but what I've realized, especially over the last uh, coming on two years here at VaynerCommerce, we take a completely different approach to that. Our point is not, do not join us because you want to stay here for 10 years. If you do, great. But we are absolutely open to bringing people on board for tours of duty for two years, one year, et cetera, knowing upfront what they're going to come, what value they're going to drive, how we're going to increase their market value, and they're going to go. And once you realize that, once you get past the fear of losing great talent, and you start to think about the notion that you can actually build an environment that is constantly bringing in new talent, allowing them to grow, allowing them to graduate, and you've got that entire cycle internally, not everyone's going to leave, but you're whatever 20% that grows and leaves, you embrace it. 
And by embracing that, you get much better talent and you get folks that are excited about what they can do for you in that period of time that they're with you, knowing that they're eventually going to leave and they're going to graduate and that it's pre-planned. And I think that's one of the most, the, the biggest things that I've learned and overcome over the last two years at VaynerCommerce is this notion of don't fear employees leaving, build an environment where they can grow and that they can essentially leave when they want to and you're okay with it because you have an entire cycle for them. I mean, do you want to keep the people, you know, here's the, the, the reverse of that, right? If the people who are staying with you and they're not really that talented, do you really want them staying with you either, you know? If, if people 100%. are very talented, even if they can give you 20, 18 to 24 months of their life, you know, their professional career, you had 24 months of that uh, amazing talent being part of your team and they, they contributed to the pool of that knowledge, you know, which is tremendous. I would take that any day over somebody who is just coasting for 10 years and not really delivering great value to the company. Yeah, I'm, I'm entirely with you. Look, the, the, you need stability. You need foundational level people. You need career people that are with you for a long period of time. We had amazing employees at Lucid Fusion that once we were acquired, we had employees who were with us for seven years, for nine years. I think Kelly Rapuano, our director of operations, was with us for, I think, nine or 10 years. Um, but I appreciate that stability and I, and I like that stability. At the same time, you can't expect that of everyone and top performing talent at a certain point in their career wants to grow. And either you give them that environment to grow or for, for a long period of time, meaning five years, or you understand that they're going to be with you for a short period of time. And that's just the way top talent works and you embrace it and you build an environment that you're constantly recruiting, constantly bringing in the cream of the crop. Now, to kind of fast forward to companies acquired in the middle of pandemic, pandemic yep. hits you. How has that changed? Because I remember when you when you were announcing with uh, Gary, um, I think you guys were in two different locations, right? Because we couldn't travel anymore. I, exactly. It was a locked, severe lockdown. But how has the past, like, let's say 18 months uh, of the pandemic affected teamwork and team building while being in this post-acquisition? So I think that because a large number of people worked in an office together all the time, um, you had that kind of camaraderie and that gelling to begin with. And then there were the folks that um, were on your team that essentially came in. So there were a number of people on Sabir's team. There were our team. We all joined as basically VaynerCommerce. Um, I think because of the nature of what we do, um, primarily digital, right? Uh, only digital. Um, and then the nature of the, the camaraderie that we had with one another, because we were working with each other prior as well, it wasn't like this just happened. Um, many of the people that ended up joining Vayner Commerce from Vayner Media were working with the Lucid Fusion team before. So we already had that like working relationship. Um, I think it was fine. Look, it took us a while to figure it out. I think it took a lot of people. The biggest thing was more work environment at home and people many employees, many people didn't have nannies, they had children at home. So I think mean, that was a, a big challenge. But I think that like probably most people who've worked from home for a certain period of time. Now, mind you, 
I had never worked from home ever until like 2018. I would go to the office every single day, even when it was like the three of us. But because I, I was always about going to the office. Then we worked for a period of time, I think in like 2018, um, when we were in between offices and I really enjoyed it um, because of the focus that I was able to have at home. But I think that we did a great job. Our, our team did an amazing job of keeping in touch with one another, um, having video calls as frequently as possible um, and, and making sure that the operations team, essentially the glue of the company kept everything together, making sure that people were essentially doing what they needed to do, that the support they needed, that was the biggest thing. Um, but, but I think ultimately like everybody else, you end up adapting to that environment and then you get to a point where you want human interaction, you want real world human interaction now, but I'd be hard pressed to believe anybody wants to go into the office five days a week anymore. I, th I think it would be very hard to even take business meetings to hop on a flight to go over and meet someone. They'll go like, why can't we do a Zoom meeting? 100%. 100%. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, Zubin, this has been tremendous. And thank you for taking us through, through the journey. And this is what I ask every single guest of mine to give me their number one $100,000 insight. In your case, I, I, we have uh, aspiring entrepreneurs to or freelancers or digital agency that maybe they're at the very beginning of that Lucid Fusion journey. And, and they are uh, thinking uh, through building an, a proper agency and stuff like that. What is your number one $100,000 expert insight into into building a company, an agency, and a brand so that uh, Gary Vaynerchuk can can acquire it. So the, the seat feels a lot warmer now. I think this was the whole point of the hot seat, huh? Um, <laughs> so look, I think that having gone through it myself, <clears throat> having looked at other agencies for potential acquisition, and then just talking to other agency owners, the service industry, the agency industry is difficult. You are constantly after new clients, you're constantly trying to present yourself, position yourself uniquely compared to other agencies, explain to clients why they should work with you. Many times it just comes down to dollars. Um, a lot of times it comes down to relationships. But I think that the, the most valuable um, advice I can give, and I'll, I'll give it to you in, in three parts. One, goal setting. So I think that it's really important when you're starting out, even right at the beginning, to do research, understand what you're selling to whom and how, and set some goals for your agency, set some goals for your firm, set some financial goals, set an understanding of this is where we need to be year one, year two, year three, year four, adjust those expectations quarterly. But if you don't have a goal that you're driving towards on a quarterly basis, it makes it very difficult to achieve anything and then secondarily, you don't even know when to be happy necessarily because it's not like you set this line in the sand and you've exceeded it. That's part one. Part two, <clears throat> focus. We talked about this earlier. What I was mentioning is like I had a lot of things going on in my life. I had uh, a lack of focus. And then our agency had a lack of focus. We had B2B clients. We had clients that would show up and ask us about all sorts of stuff. And we were basically chasing the revenue. Wherever the revenue went, we went in that direction. Now, <clears throat> the challenge with that is that what ends up happening is when you get a valuation for your agency or your company or your business, there are certain things that they discount for. They discount for one, concentration of clients or concentration risk, meaning at the time, 
um, in, in say 2014, 15, we had two clients that comprised 70, 80% of our revenue. And so that makes you very uh, risky in terms of an acquisition. And so it drops your valuation significantly. So good concentration risk is important. And then the other thing is, um, or mitigating concentration risk. And then the other thing that's important is having focus. When we think about an agency or we think about a service provider, yes, you can grow and become this behemoth that does everything for everyone. But if you want to be acquired by a strategic, you have to have some focus. Look at our situation. Sabir and team had built uh, e-commerce offering within VaynerMedia. What we had that they didn't have was engineering expertise. We didn't come in and go, hey, Gary and team, we do everything e-commerce for everyone. And they're like, oh, okay, let's bolt you on. It's like, no, we fit a very specific need that they had. And we had focus. Until we had that focus in 2017 through basically 2018, 19, and 20, we were never an acquisition target. And when we had that focus, it wasn't just Gary Vaynerchuk that was knocking our door. There were several other companies that were interested in acquiring us because of that focus that we had. And then the third piece of advice I'll offer um, is to really think about what you as the agency owner want and what you're looking for. Because I think that People get burnt out. To Sabir's point, we're talking about Magento. We're talking about all these nights that we were up and the sites were failing and we're trying to get them going before Shark Tank and all of that. Uh, and I think it's really important to understand what you want as the person leading the agency, you as the entrepreneur. And I think you have to design that for yourself and think about, as I mentioned, like the business outcomes that you're looking for. Think about what you want. Do you want to build something and do you want to take a step back and be the chairman and build an amazing team that can run it? Or do you want to run it day to day? You have to be honest with yourself. Once you figure that out, then you know who to hire. Then you know that, look, I'm going to do this for the next three years. I'm going to lead this company, but I'm going to make sure the first few people that I hire and I invest in are an executive talent, people that I'm going to learn from and people who can take the this thing that I'm building and grow it. Or do you always want to be the boss, in which case you hire entry-level people, junior-level people, then uh, mid-level people, and then senior, because ultimately you want your vision to be implemented all the time. So I would say those three things. One, understand the goals of the company, what what the company should be achieving. Two, understand and, and focus, create incredible focus. There's so many agencies out there that have been acquired for massive multiples, and they're, they're doing millions of dollars in revenue that only do email marketing. All they do is design emails and deploy emails, which many agencies out there do, but they would never focus on that because they think it's too small. It's not too small. Focus. And third, know what it is that you want out of your life and make sure that this business that you're building, whether it's an agency, it's a direct-to-consumer business, anything, can support you in getting to what it is that you're looking to achieve. Zubin, well said. Thank you very much for being a guest on the show and, and sharing your journey and, and your wisdom uh, with, with our audience. And thank you, audience, for tuning in. Uh, if you are catching it live, thank you a thousand times. If you are catching it uh, in a recording, that's perfectly fine, too. And I really appreciate all of you and much love. Th thank you, Zubin. Thank you, Sabir. You're the best. Good to see you.